Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is What is Truth? by Pastor Sean Wood. Let's come around the Word of God this morning. Father, I thank you that you're always speaking to us. But this morning, I pray that our ears would be open and that our hearts would be like good soil, ready for the seed to be planted. All scripture is God-breathed. Father, I pray that every person in this room this morning will know that you have breathed life into us through your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18, we're going to, uh, we're going to look at the... Uh, we will this month finish our journey through the Gospel of John but just a quick recap, uh, we know that if you, the Gospel of John, we know that the key word in the Gospel of John is the word believe. And the word believe for John meant more than just what you agree with in your mind. It actually meant something, you could see it in your life. It's a word that he uses 99 times in this gospel, and every time he does, it has the imperative of a verb. It's about what you do. It's about who has all of your trust and all of your confidence. That's the word belief. So when it says, when Jesus says to, that salvation is reliant upon us believing, it looks like something in your life. There are many people that agree that Jesus existed and what you do with that is what the Gospel of John wants to address. We see that another key thing is that John wants us to get something that it took him three years to understand, along with all the other disciples. In the first chapter, when he opens up this Gospel, he says, you know what? Basically, he says, it took us three years to get this through our heads. I want you to understand it now. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And then he will bring witnesses John the Baptist and others. And then he will bring in signs that point to who Jesus is and what he has come to do. We now move into a a section of this gospel that every gospel records. It's actually interesting that the predominant theme of every gospel is Christ's trial and death and resurrection. It's the major theme. Nobody misses this part out. (laughs) This This is the key part. But I love this exchange as we come to uh, John chapter 18. I want to focus in on Pontius Pilate and the exchange that Jesus has with Pontius Pilate. But who here has seen the movie A Few Good Men? Yeah, I was in it too, yeah. But we we all know that famous line uh, towards the end of the movie. You know, Tom Cruise, the, the movie builds because, you know, Jack Nicholas, the guy that Jack Nicholas is playing, they all know he's guilty, but they don't have the evidence. They all know that he's done what they're accusing him of. And he says, I've got to trap him in his pride on the stand. And we all know that famous line where uh, Tom Cruise says, we want the truth. And Jack Nicholas says, you can't handle the truth. Everybody, everybody quotes that line. You can't, I tell my kids that all the time. You can't handle the truth. But isn't it? When we think about it, uh, if I could say anything to Pontius Pilate, he walked away before Jesus could give him an answer to this question of what is truth. But if I could say anything, I'd say, Pontius Pilate, I don't think you could handle the truth. I don't think you could handle it because truth always comes with implication. Today, people will tell you that there is no such thing as truth. You ever tried to define truth? We can't know truth necessarily by a definition, but we can know truth 
There are ways to test truth. There are ways to arrive at truth. And we're going to explore those today as we work through this passage. So let us come to John chapter 18, and we will start at verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus, and he said to him, so we're now at the trial of Christ. He has been before the high priest. He is now brought before Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect. And history tells us that Pontius Pilate, uh, he didn't want to be here. He, he considered the Jews to be a nuisance. They, uh, Rome was absolutely in charge, but they allowed the Jews to govern their own affairs. They allowed them to have their religious sacrifices, ceremonies and feasts. They they allowed them to adjudicate their own law, but they were not allowed to sentence anybody to death. But why not stone Christ? Why do we find Jesus before Pilate? Why not just stone him? Well, that's, that's pretty simple. Stoning was a mob act. The high priest could not order anybody to be stoned, but he would raise and he would rouse the crowd with evidence and he would call for people to be stoned, but he couldn't sanction it. And he also couldn't call upon a mob to stone Christ because as we see, the mob was beginning to follow Jesus. All from the point when Lazarus was raised from the dead, the crowds went after him. One Pharisee would say, the world is going after him. I long for the day that we would say that more and more here. The world is going after him. So Pontius Pilate, we also need to understand he's a little bit uneasy because his wife has warned him to deal carefully with this man because she has had dreams of this man. Deal carefully with this man. Pontius Pilate is the man that holds the key to crucifixion. If that's And the Jews want to make sure they get this right. If we're going to get rid of this guy, we've failed in the past. We've tried to grab hold of him in the past. You know, this time we need to make sure we get it right. And if the Romans were good at anything, they were good at their job of killing people. They had made an art form out of it. So Pontius Pilate calls him into the headquarters. Why? Because all of the Jews are out in the courts because they don't want to associate with the Gentiles and defile themselves in preparation for the Passover. So Pilate calls Jesus into his headquarters again and he says to Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? And this question needs to be answered because if Pilate is going to execute Jesus, it'll have to be on the charge of claiming to be a king. That is what will get you executed. If you are in opposition to Rome, that will put you on a cross very quickly. Are you the king of the Jews? Great question to ask. He asks good questions. Good leaders ask good questions. We're not sure that he's a good leader, but he asks good questions. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus, I love Jesus' reply. Jesus' reply says, do you say this? Jesus answered, verse 34, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And I take two things from that. Firstly, Jesus is probably saying to Pilate, are you coming to conclusions about me because of what others have told you or are you drawing these conclusions yourself? And the second thing is Jesus is saying to Pilate, do you see me in opposition to Rome? Do you say this about me? Do I look like I'm in opposition to you and I've set myself up against Rome? 
Jesus humbles himself here to answer Pontius Pilate's questions. I find this amazing and I find it profound. And I want to draw a little bit of a lesson here because you know what? Jesus, while we are here, Jesus enters our courts. It's like he answers our questions. He allows every one of us to scrutinise him. He allows every one of us to have our doubts and to have our fears. But there will come a day when the roles are reversed. If there was anything I could say to Pontius Pilate now, it would be you will stand in his courts one day and you won't like it. There will come a day when every one of us will stand in the courts of this king. What will you do with him now is the question. Do you say this, says Jesus. Pontius Pilate goes on and he says, Pilate answered him, am I a Jew? (laughs) Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Great question. What had Jesus done? And you know what? People say Jesus absolutely was free from sin. Absolutely free from guilt. He was the spotless lamb of God. But they charged him, first of all, with blasphemy. They charged him with claiming to be the son of God. Tick. That's exactly what Jesus claimed. He backed it up with the life that he lived. He backed it up with the words that he spoke. But what has Jesus done? And I would ask the question, what is it about Jesus that upsets so many people? Why is it that the gospel is the one message that everybody wants to silence? Why is it that Jesus is the name on the lips of every person that wants to swear and not Mickey Mouse? Why do we not hear... Muhammad used in that way. What is it about Christ that upsets people? We're going to answer that question before we finish this morning. Christ has a habit of upsetting people. Christ upsets me at times. You ever been upset by Jesus? He can upset your apple cart sometimes, can't he? What have you done? Jesus has done nothing that would deserve any punishment or any recompense. Jesus answered him, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus definitely came as a king. That's what he's telling Pilate now. By claiming the fact that he has a kingdom, he's saying, you know what, I am a king. But he says to Pilate, he says, my kingdom, it's not of this world. And when Jesus uses the word kingdom, which he uses quite a lot in the Gospels, but when Jesus uses the word kingdom, he is speaking of the extent of God's dominion, God's reign and God's rule. The boundaries are not physical. They are set by the hearts of people. Every, oh, I love baptisms. We're going to have baptisms later in the year. But every time somebody is baptised, that boundary extends that much further. Every time somebody calls on the name of Christ, that boundary is set a little bit further. The kingdom of God is within you, says Jesus, but it's not a kingdom of this world. Pontius Pilate, you understand a kingdom to be a kingdom that, that is set up. Your Pontius Pilate's kingdom, in a sense, has subjects and it has slaves, but the kingdom of God has sons and daughters. That's profound. If God had only ever offered us the position of slave, if God had only ever offered us the position of subject, that was still more than we ever deserve. But he says, no, you come and eat at my table like my family does. 
We are sons and we're daughters. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' kingdom is not a political kingdom. We don't ruthlessly rise to power in the kingdom of Christ. His kingdom is not about position. It's not about status. It's about serving. Completely opposite to the kingdom that Pilate is used to. But here's the greatest thing about the kingdom of Christ. It has a different king. Entrance into Christ's kingdom is not by submission and not by subjection, but it is rather by surrender. We voluntarily enter the kingdom of Christ by surrender. He doesn't force anybody into his kingdom. It's a voluntary act. He says to Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king and for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. Everything about the life of Christ is for the purpose of establishing the kingdom of God. For every time he healed a sickness, every demon that was uh, cast out of somebody, for, for every word that he spoke and for everything that he taught and for all the example that he gave us, it was all about establishing a kingdom which exists in our hearts. It's for this purpose that I was born. To bear witness to the truth. Jesus goes on to say to bear witness to the truth. What is the truth that Jesus bears witness to? It is the truth that upsets so many people about Jesus. But there are two main things that Jesus points to that is the truth. The first thing is Jesus' life, Jesus' words absolutely resonate the true image of God. Jesus' life bears witness to the truth of who God is. But here's the other part. The life of Christ displays who we really are. The life of Christ displays our exponential need for this Redeemer to come. That's the truth that he came to bear witness to. Every single one of us are in disposition to God and there's only one way back. I've come to bear witness to the truth. I've come to bear witness to reality. That's why the Pharisees didn't like it. They thought they'd found the truth. They thought they'd found a way to God that you couldn't take away from them. But they'd lost God in their traditions. They'd lost God in their rules. The life of Christ bears witness to God. What did Jesus say? If you have known me, you have known the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I have come to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And here's the main question for this morning that Pontius Pilate asks him, what is truth? It's a good question to ask. I wish he had not walked away before Jesus had a chance to answer this question. But what is truth? If I asked you this morning, uh, what is truth? We might get a variety of different answers. But the fact of the matter is that truth is absolute. People will say there's no absolute truth. And when they say that, they're actually making an absolute truth claim. 
But people will tell you there is no truth and we can't know truth, but that's not right. We can know truth. We're going to have a look at how we can know truth, but, but truth is absolutely absolute. It is not relative. Truth is objective, which is what people don't like about Jesus. Jesus is objective truth. When we look at the person of Christ, it is a truth that is outside of us that we cannot control, which imposes an implication on every one of us. Truth is not relative. Relative is, well, what's true for me is true for me, and what is true for you is true for you. And how did that work out for the Germans in World War II? Everything that happened under the Nazi regime was true for them. That's just one example. You could go to Stalin and many others. Relative truth is very dangerous. Objective truth exists. How can we know the truth and what is this truth? The word that Jesus uses here, uh, not only here, but also it's the word that Pontius Pilate uses in the Greek, but also the word that Jesus uses is the manifested essence of a matter. It is the, the tangible essence of a matter. That's what truth is. It's something that you can grab hold of. We'll have a look at how you can know truth in a moment. But one thing about truth is that it can be tested by reason and evidence. If you make a statement of truth, you can test that by reason and evidence. I could say to you this morning that Terry is in church this morning. And we can test that both by reason and evidence. The fact that he's sitting here in the front row like he always does. And by the way, if you sit in the front row, I need to just digress for a moment. If you sit in the front row, you open yourself up to be analogies for my sermons which I have the perfect people lined up on the front. That's correct. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I get to preaching about Samson, we will see that Terry is in exactly the right position. <laughs> and when I get to talking about Job, Lynn is in exactly the right position. She has suffered much. But we know it's true that he's here and there is one truth claim that we will get to at the end that is absolutely knocks them all out of the park. But we know that because there's evidence. We can, we can see him. If we were to tell somebody else, there would be X amount of people here this morning that would testify to it. So we can make truth claims. Reality can be known. One of the first ways we can, uh, a quote by an anonymous person, it's a good person, but he says the truth is a description of reality and truth is how we describe reality and evidence. And the first one I would say is authority. And anybody here that has been to university, uh, Steve is at university at the moment, so sucked in. But Steve is, whenever you are studying, and I learned this when I was doing essays and stuff as well, is uh, I was told when doing an essay theologically First of all, um, answer the question. Second of all, I don't want to hear your opinion. And um, I thought that's why I was writing an essay. I thought you wanted my opinion. No, I don't want your opinion. What they wanted me to do was to answer the question and to quote at least three authoritative references to back it up by people who had training, by people who had experience and by people who had knowledge in the area. So we can, first one we can do, how, do, how can we know truth? One of the first things and one of the first ways we can do is to draw evidence from people of authority. Jesus' authority, John 5.27, says that his authority comes from the Father. The next one is really important. 
coherence. Everything, uh, when, uh, when we test truth by coherence, it is a consistent and overarching explanation of all the facts. I am holding a coherent evidence for truth in my hands. We will, we will open this up more as the year goes on. We will look more into how we can know truth and we will look at the reality that exists. If you're sitting here this morning and you hold the opinion that the Christian faith means that you have to live by blind faith, please drop that opinion. Faith does not have to be blind at all. I am a Christian because there is good reason and evidence for me to believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And we will explore that. C.S. Lewis said, I don't believe in Christianity. I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun, not because I can touch it or feel it, but because by it I can see everything. There is a coherence in Scripture where everything just seems to line up and there is logic within all of the facts of Scripture. The biggest thing I love about the Bible is it's full of lies It's full of sexual immorality, it's full of sin, and it's full of the glory of God, dealing with our humanity. I love that. Nothing is hidden, nothing... If if you were going to write the Gospels and make God look good, if you were trying to do it from a man's perspective, you would keep things like denying Christ out of it, wouldn't you? But it's in every Gospel. Because it's important with how God deals with us. So there is coherence, which is a consistent and overarching explanation of all the facts. The next one is consistency. There is always consistency in truth. Scripture is consistent. For centuries they have tried to prove inconsistencies within Scripture and have failed. We have, as far as historical documents go, the four Gospels, by the way, are a home run. You don't get historical documents like the four Gospels in any other aspect. Let me give you an example when it comes, because people will raise consistency when it comes to the Gospels. Let me give you an example. The example is there is not a historian that will debate the facts we know from history about Alexander the Great. Not one of them. Yet the closest of any written recording of his events, 200 years after his death. Jesus, within 30 years of his death, we have a recorded account, which is the gospel accounts. You don't get historical documents like that. So why do we see the gospels portray the same event and the information is not always the same, but that doesn't mean that it's inconsistent. Let's have an example of that. If I put four people in each corner of this room this morning and asked you to describe this pulpit, you would all describe exactly the same thing, but you would do so from four different vantage points. You are not describing anything to me that is untrue. You are not describing anything to me that is inconsistent. You are just doing it from another viewpoint. Truth is consistent. Is the Bible consistent? Yes. We see consistency. We see that there is a coherence. We also see that there is a consensus, which is opinions held by majority testimony. You can know truth because there are billions of people on the planet today that will testify to the truth that lies in the person of Jesus Christ. There is a consensus, a majority-held consensus, eyewitness. If you're in a court of law, first thing they want to know is, how many eyes do I have? 
If, you, if somebody's charged with murder, how many eyewitnesses do we have? Eyewitness testimony is absolutely imperative. Then we have correspondence. Correspondence means that everything is cohesive and it works together. All the facts link in together. There is a cohesiveness, a correspondence and a consensus. But here's the big one. Here's how you can know truth and knock it out of the park by experience. How do I know that Terry... How's the best way for me to know that Terry's at church today? To walk into the room, come down to the front and look at that wonderful bright jumper that he's wearing. Experience. Uh, There was a point when I preached about uh, the five proofs or the five evidences, the main evidences for the existence of God. And the fifth one I still hold to, which is that he can be personally known and experienced now. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. 1 Peter, the first epistle of Peter says, in the Lord whom you have tasted. Uh, I, I wrote in the e-news for next week, but I, I wrote about MasterChef. I actually like, does anybody else like MasterChef? Yeah, I like these shows. Yeah, these guys that don't know how to cook. And I, I really like Gordon Ramsay. I've always said we need more pastors like Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> and everybody said, amen, amen. <clears throat> That's for another time, Terry. <clears throat> but they produce this food, don't they? They bring this food. Now, someone could walk in this room now with a plate of food and come down to the front and say to me, you know what? This is really good food. You should eat it. And I could, I could look at some of the evidence for that. By, by looking at that food, I could say, you know what? It looks like it tastes good and it smells like it tastes good. I trust the person giving to me. That's important. I trust the person passing me the food. But there's only one way I can tell you for sure, and that is to experience it. How can we know truth today? You can experience Jesus today. Pilate, you should never have walked away. You should never have walked away. Blaise Pascal says that we know the truth not only by the reason, but also by the heart. When it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, he appeals to our reason, but oh, how he appeals to our heart. Oh, how he appeals to our hearts. John chapter 8, I will turn there briefly to read you these verses that Jesus says. I want you to know today, you might be asking the question, well, how can I begin to know the truth? Well, Jesus gave us that answer. John chapter 8, verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. If you want to know the truth that corresponds with reality, it is the word of God. If you want to know how to know truth, abide in the word of God. Remain in the word of God. Form your opinions based on the word of God. The greatest authority in the universe has given you the way to know truth. Is abiding in his word. Paul says it in Romans chapter 12, he says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. No, he did not say you are transformed by being brainwashed, but he said you are transformed as you realize the truth sets you free, transforms your life. G.K. Chesterton was an amazing wordsmith. And we'll get to his quote in a moment. 
<clears throat> and I want to ask you this morning whether, when it comes to truth, whether we are tourists or travelers. And I'll get to his quote and explain it in a moment. But part of knowing truth leaves everybody with an implication. And the more truth that we know about ourselves, the more truth we know about God leaves us with an implication of what we do with this truth. What do you do with the person of Jesus Christ? This is the biggest question that everybody's got to answer. What do I do with the person of Jesus Christ? If all that Jesus said is actually true, where does that leave me? If all that Jesus did is real, where does that leave me? I love the testimony of Stu Miller, who's just been to Israel and says, I can't believe that I land back in Australia and people cannot accept the fact that Jesus actually lived and all the events in the Bible are actually history. Because he said, when you go to the Holy Land, he said, whether you're Muslim, Judaism, whatever it is, he said, they all claim the same thing. They all know that these things historically took place. What's the difference? What you do with the person of Jesus Christ. It has an implication. Knowing the truth has an implication. Pontius Pilate You could not have handled the truth because it would have had an implication for your life had you known the truth. G.K. Chesterton asked us whether we're travellers or tourists when it comes to truth. He says the traveller sees what he sees, the tourist sees what he has come to see. What's the difference between the two? A traveller arrives at truth and takes it for what it is there and then on paper. We can't alter truth, we just accept what the evidence gives to us. We accept all the reasoning and evidence before us. What does a tourist do? It seeks out only what they want to know. And that can be dangerous because you're leaving out quite often the important parts. When it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, so many people are like tourists. We just want to take out of Jesus what is is comfortable for me. I just want to accept the elements of Jesus that are comfortable for me. Uh, We just want elements of the gospel that's comfortable for me. Do you know, when it comes to the gospel, there was no fine print with Jesus. We don't read any fine print with Jesus. Jesus boldly declared, as they would have been walking past people hanging on a cross, Jesus says to his disciples, oh, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. Every one of them knew exactly what he meant when he said it. No fine print. This isn't, oh, by the way, being a Christian means all of your life. A traveller sees what he sees, but the tourist sees (coughs) what he's come to see. I'd ask everybody if we could just stand as I bring this to a close this morning. My hope this morning is that as we stand here with our heads bowed before God, that we won't do what Pontius Pilate does. And you know what? You could could be a Christian for 30 years or you could be a Christian for 30 minutes, but what you do with truth each and every day is still important. And my prayer this morning for everybody in this room is that we won't be like Pontius Pilate who turned around and walked away when the absolute personification of truth was standing before him. The truth is, Jesus is king this morning. But I want to ask you, is he king of your heart? The truth is that Jesus is the son of God and the complete expression of God's love. Will you respond to him today? When you wake up tomorrow morning, is it still true for you? Is Jesus still all of your life when you wake up on Wednesday morning and Thursday morning?
Father, with our heads bowed before you this morning, we join our hearts in prayer this morning. And we pray, Father, that you would open our hearts to know more of the truth and to know more of you. I thank you, Jesus, that we can know the truth. I thank you that you came to bear witness to the true image of God and the true position of each and every one of us. And in knowledge of that position this morning, I pray that you would strip away all of our humanity as we stand here together. That as that song says, I pray that everything else would fall away and that we would be vessels of your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us. In your wonderful name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.